0: Sprite Castle, Sprite Castle, Sprite Castle, with Rob O'Hara, Sprite Castle. Hello, and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show on which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Load Runner. Now, do you know what evil empire the enemies in Load Runner belong to? You will, after listening to this episode. But before I get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Spry Castle. I like to start the news off with anything I missed from previous episodes. And on the last episode, we talked all about Y.R. Kung Fu. And I left out a little er kung fu related thing that i really wanted to mention and i just sometimes i space things when i'm putting together the notes and i just leave things out several years ago i attended a vintage gaming uh, expo I, uh, there was a local expo it took place in tulsa it was the uh, ovge oklahoma video game expo and lots of people who went to this expo sold things so you could do displays, which is mostly what I did. I was an exhibitor, but other people were vendors. And my kids had attended OVGE and wanted to make something to sell. And so my wife found a way to make coasters. And what you do is you take – by coasters, drink coasters, you know, go on your coffee table. You take tiles – that you get from Home Depot or Lowe's, and then you can print out a picture to put on top of the tile, and then you use this um, Moxie, whatever it is, stuff that you put on top, of it, it kind of seals and it, it makes it waterproof. And so my kids, uh, they did all the work. They came up with groups of four pictures, and they made sets of four coasters. So they made four Minecraft. Uh, images for the coasters. They made four Pac-Man images. There was a Pac-Man, a Miss Pac-Man, and two ghosts, for example. And so I got in on the action on this, and I decided to make four E.R. Kung Fu coasters because I love E.R. Kung Fu. And so it had uh, the main character, Oolong, and then three of the different enemies from the game. And by the end of the convention, I think I made two sets of those, and neither one sold nobody was interested in my Yiar Kung Fu coasters. And so after the convention, I brought those coasters home and I had them laying out one time in the living room. I was using them and my dad came over and he said, "Uh, uh, what are these? You know, and I explained they were from a video game and I really liked the video game and apparently nobody else liked it. And he thought it was funny. Well, that year for Christmas, I got this strange uh shaped package. It almost looked like a wide uh and narrow painting or something. It felt like it was on a canvas. And it was from my dad. And when I opened it up, it was essentially the YIYAR Kung Fu marquee, except for he had sent it off to a website where they will print you a canvas piece of artwork. And so basically I have a YIYAR Kung Fu marquee, except for it's – Larger than a marquee. (laughs) This thing is probably four foot wide. And, you know, it's the same perspective or uh, same uh, ratio as a marquee. It's just a little bit larger. But I have that. And I always thought that was a really cool thing. Uh, It's always neat when a family member gets you something for your birthday where, you know, they put some thought into it and they really, you know, got something that uh, uh, that they thought you would like. And so I have a year Kung Fu custom larger than normal size marquee that I have put out in my movie room lobby. And I also still have a set of Yar Kung Fu coasters. So I wish I had included that in the last episode, but I just forgot it. Uh, the big news for Commodore 64 fans this week is that the C64 computer has now gone available. That's not right. English. It has become available for pre-orders on Amazon, list price for North America Commodore fans is $129 plus shipping, which brings it to about $140. I'm a big man. I'm a big talker. I like uh, saying whatever's on my mind at the time. The problem is I change my my opinion five seconds later, and so I know that on a previous episode of sprite castle i said that i really don't have room in my life for the c64 anymore they had waited too long and i still kind of believe that i have a lot of different ways to play commodore 64 games and let me tell you the minute they announced it three people told me within the first hour and i had already pre-ordered it <laughs> so i know uh some people have told me that they pre-ordered it and never even opened it um a lot of people i guess imported it from the uk back when you could do that and several people did that and never opened it they just put it on a shelf i don't know what i'm going to do um i i kind of like the idea of using it as a daily driver you know leaving it out but Man, I've been watching uh, all these people that using their Ultimate uh, 64s, and I have an Ultimate 64, I think I mentioned. It's still in the box. It's sitting in the closet, and I need to get that project uh, put together. It's on the to-do list, but uh, I don't know that this uh, would be better than any of those other things. But I've pre-ordered it, so when it comes in, I will definitely uh, run it through its paces and uh, give a full review on that. I saw, you know, I try not to cover too many games that I see that are upcoming. I like for the games to come out and be able to play them. But I did see this news, and I got excited. There's a new Commodore 64 game called Gold Rush being planned. It is the sequel to Keystone Capers, and they are releasing two versions of the game, one for the Atari 2600 and one for the Commodore 64. Now, what made me excited about this, not only because it's a sequel to Keystone Capers, which is a fantastic game, but the Atari 2600 version is written, going to be written by Dan Kitchen, who wrote the original version of Keystone Capers for the Atari 2600. And the Commodore 64 version is going to be done by Antonio Savona, Stephen Day, and Saul Cross, the three gentlemen that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. Who were also responsible for not only uh, Fix-It Felix, but Antonio was also responsible for the port of Keystone Capers over to the Commodore 64 a year or two ago. So very excited about this. I saw some screenshots, and it really looks good. Uh, so I can't wait to play that. I did get a few new Commodore 64 games this week. There's Planet Balls, which is a puzzle-style arcade game. Uh, I just got Freaky Fish DX. Now, this is an updated version of a game that was in the 4k craptastic compo uh, i believe in 2018 so this is a reworked and redone version of that so i did play the original i just downloaded this new version so i haven't tried the new one but uh, the original was pretty fun so i'm looking forward to that and there, uh, it's another new game called Flying Saucers, which is very similar to Defender. And that just came out over the past uh, week or so. So uh, lots of good stuff coming out for the Commodore 64. As I always say, we are so lucky as Commodore 64 fans to just have a steady stream of both new and classic games to be able to play anytime we want. It's a fantastic time. On a slightly sadder news... I did read a couple of days ago about the passing of Kurt Vindel. Kurt Vindel was responsible for AtariMuseum.com. That's not where I met him. I met him through Atari Age. I was a long time in a previous life, you might say, I was a forum moderator and administrator over at Digital Press. And Digital Press and Atari Age. Uh, were constantly uh, battling <laughs> each other for some reason there was always bad blood between the two forums um and um Kurt Vindel was one of the nicest people you could ever meet and he was not he didn't get into you know into any of uh those little squabbles I, you know he was all about uh preserving if you don't know Kurt Vindel um when Atari was closing down Uh, Kurt would, um, call these developers and try to get, uh, you know, documents and things so that he could archive. He collected anything related to, uh, the Atari. Kurt uh, and his company was responsible for the Atari Flashback. They didn't come up – his company didn't do the design for the original Atari Flashback, which was the one that was basically inside an Atari joystick. Uh, But he was responsible for the the design of the second one, Atari Flashback 2. And that was the first one that actually looked like a vintage Atari console. And that console – debuted at a game show, uh, a game convention, I guess, uh, in Dallas in 2005. It debuted at, it was called VG Expo. And I had a friend who was in Dallas, and I definitely uh, was excited about this Atari Flashback because I heard that on the motherboard, they had left all these pins where you could actually hack the Atari Flashback and hook up a real cartridge port and, and modify it and do other things. So I went to Dallas to VG Expo. And it was uh, advertised as a huge convention. And when we got there, there was almost nobody there. There were just empty booth after empty booth. They had a a really bad uh, participation. I don't know what happened. And very few people showed up to the show. So uh, my son and I uh, went, and and Mason was, uh, I think he was, what he was. Just about to turn five years old, but there was lots of games around for him to play, so he was playing games. And I remember going over to the Atari Flashback area, and I talked to Kurt Vindel for probably half an hour. We talked about all kinds of stuff, you know. We, uh, I told him who I was from from Digital Press, and um, uh, we had, we had talked about uh, you know different things online before, but we talked all about the Atari Flashback. He had the prototype version, uh, on display. And he showed me that and showed me different things about that. And we talked about, uh, Atari and, and uh, we talked a lot about BBS's. As I remember that. So he was just one of those guys that you could see his, his eyes lit up, you know, every time that, uh, a good memory came up. And he was definitely, you know, we think about retro gaming now, uh, and retro computers and we just take You know, for granted, I know I do, that I go online and there's all this stuff. But there was definitely an age where this stuff was not popular. You know, Atari, talking about old Atari stuff was not popular. And Kurt is definitely one of the guys that carried the torch through those dark ages, you know, through all that time when people were throwing, you know, vintage stuff away. He was a collector. And in fact, um, I remember a story a long time ago that he had collected a bunch of Atari arcade cabinets and he wanted to turn the, his uh, Atari Museum into a physical place but um it, it just that just never happened so atarimuseum.com you know again is the website where he put all of his archives but uh he I, I collected eight Atari arcade games and he ended up donating those to Fun Spot which is the huge classic arcade up in uh, New Hampshire so If you've ever been to Fun Spot, they have a a section of Atari uh, classic arcade games. If you've ever played any of those, you probably have Kurt Vindel to thank. He donated Skydiver, Le Mans, which are the ones? Uh, Basketball, Night Driver, Outlaw, uh, their Super Breakout Machine. Those were all Kurt Vindel machines that he donated to the arcade so that people could uh, enjoy Atari. And so, anyway... uh, Uh, Kurt Vindel was 53 years old. He was an upstanding, just a positive, great guy in the community and will definitely be missed. So uh, tough to transition out of that, but um, I did want to mention that Uh, For all of you guys that have been listening to my audio podcast forever, I want to remind you that I have started uploading video supplements to YouTube. And the easiest way to find those, they're called Sprite Castle Plays. But if you want an easy way to find them, you could go to YouTube and look for the Amigos Retro Gaming channel. And there's a playlist there called Sprite Castle Plays. And uh, you'll find all the videos. And there is a video there for this week's game, which is Load Runner. So if you want to see me play some Load Runner and see what the game looks like, if you're not familiar with it, that's a good place to find that uh, video footage. So somebody's just handed me a note. There's a note, and it says, ha, 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 Flack. While you've been talking, we have stolen all your gold. Signed, the bungling empire. And then there's a list of names here underneath it. Jake Nonamaker, John Schaller, Eric Strianisi, Matt Nicholson, Dave Zilli, Hey, these are starting to sound familiar. Steve Rasmussen, Patrick Markey, Garrett Ellier. Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, and Cobra Kai. This is the Bungley Empire. These are my Patreon supporters. Well, I've been tricked here. If you would like to support my shows, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. $4 a month, which is essentially $1 per podcast that I release each month, uh, will get you certain things. And I have a, a top tier, a $10 a month tier, and those guys are getting, among other things, uh, a private video Wow, that sounds dirty, <laughs> the way they just said that note. Uh, I'm doing a new video show on the side called Rando Rob, where I pick a random uh, item out of my room. Uh, in fact, I made one of them public, uh, where I talk about a box of 8-inch floppy disks, which sounds pretty boring. But everything in my room, if you know me, has a story behind it. And so you get the stories, you get to see the items. And some of the items have been mentioned on previous podcasts, and some of them are new things, old things. They could be things that are 40 years old. They could be things that I got last week. You never know. So anyway, thank you guys uh, for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you would like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RobCast. Catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. Or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. And those are this week's headlines. Brought to you by my local paper boy who just ran into the gosh darn grim reaper. I knew that would happen. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's cover this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, I have to be honest, there's not really a food that I associate with Load Runner, and there's not really a food that I associate with uh, this era of gaming for me, but... One of the the objects of Load Runner is to collect gold, and so I was looking online for things that had to do with gold. And in fact, I found a a uh, a modern trend where people are coating food with gold, which is essentially just a wasteful thing to show how rich they are. Gold has no taste, and apparently, you can't even digest it. But uh, people are paying to have their food covered with gold. But I. Didn't really want to do that for this episode. But as I was looking for golden foods, I did run across golden grams, which is a classic cereal that I used to have. I used to have golden grams when I was a kid. It's a uh, a cereal that are basically uh, graham crackers. They taste like graham crackers. It kind of has a uh, a honey taste with a little bit of brown sugar or whatever. So uh, I asked my wife, hey, next time you're shopping – can you pick us up some golden grams? And she said, you are dumb. <laughs> but uh, she did get me these golden grams, and they're not the golden grams that I had when I was a kid. I think these might be the uh, Aldi's off-brand <laughs> golden grams. They taste just about how I remember, but um, uh, I don't know. I remember snacking on go- you know, uh, graham crackers, quite a bit uh we would you know just buy the box of graham crackers they were always good we always had them around for if we were going to make s'mores or something but eh, you know we ate a lot of graham crackers and so Gold of graham cereal was uh um you know kind of give you that same thing but obviously it's in milk and uh it's kind of a transition breakfast cereal i mean it's not really a kid cereal there's no marshmallows and things like that but it's not totally uh, sugar-free like a adult cereal, I guess. So, anyway, uh, you know, I wasn't really thrilled with uh, this week's snack, but uh, I did enjoy the Golden Grahams. So, Golden Grahams will be this week's snack for uh, talking snack. Come on, you guys. The sun's already up. It's going to be a golden day. Let's eat. Oh, those Golden Grahams. Oh, those Golden Grahams. Crispy, crunchy Grahams cereal, family breakfast treat. Oh, those Golden Grahams. Oh, those golden grahams, golden honey, just a touch with Graham's golden wheat. It's a great tasting part of a complete breakfast for the whole family. Try those golden grahams and have a golden day. Load Runner was published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Broderbund. It is a game for one player that uses joystick or keyboard controls. Load Runner was originally written by Douglas E. Smith. Doug was born in 1960 and unfortunately passed away in September of 2014. Um... For some reason, I thought Doug Smith was a one-hit wonder that he had only written *Load Runner, but that is not true. Online, I found that he was responsible for the programming and engineering for Champions Forever Boxing, NBA Showdown, Uh, The Lemmings Chronicles, that's the version of the Lemmings for the 3DO. He worked on Body Harvest, and he worked on Micro Machines 64 Turbo for the Nintendo 64, among several other games. Uh, He also designed levels for Lemmings 2, The Tribe, so I thought that was pretty cool. And he was the executive producer for Secret of Mana and Secret of Evermore. I believe he had a part in uh, translating those uh, to the U.S. market. So, Doug Smith had a uh, a long career in the gaming business. It also, I found this was very interesting, he is credited as contributing graphics and artwork to Defender of the Crown. And he was also a CG designer on Final Fantasy VII. So, again, looks like uh, he worked on a lot of interesting products. Now... Every time that you hear Loadrunner, you're going to hear Doug Smith's name, but a name that you don't often hear is Dane Biggum. I had actually never heard Dane Biggum's name until I fired up this version of Loadrunner for the Commodore 64. He is co credited. And it looks to me like Dane Biggum actually worked for Broderbund. In the manual, he is credited as porting Broder or porting. Loadrunner to the Commodore 64. So I think he took the Apple II version, which is what Doug Smith uh, did his final version for Loadrunner on, and ported it over to the Commodore 64. Now, Dane Biggum is also credited for programming Choplifter, which is another very famous uh, classic Broderbund game. And he is the man behind Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world? Cartman San Diego. Now, believe it or not, I've checked my records, and this is the first Broderbund title that I have ever reviewed on Sprite Castle. And so, uh, the first time that I do a company, I like to talk just a little bit about them. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought Broderbund was German because uh, the O in Broderbund is a, a zero with a line through it. But for some reason, uh, I thought that was, I don't know why, I thought that was the same as a, a umlaut. I thought that Broderbund was. Uh, a German. But actually, the company name comes from, and I learned this this week, the African Air Broderbund, uh, which is a South African secret organization with close ties to the apartheid government. Uh, according to Broderbund co-founder Gary Carlston. Doug Carlston was familiar with the organization from the time he spent in Botswana during the sixties, and they adopt the name adopted the name out of reactionary reasons. Uh, Broderbund is apparently African for brotherhood. I don't want to Keep going on about this, but I thought this was really interesting. It says it's a uh, has a large influence. This is the air Broderbund has a large influence with South American political and social. Uh, and it came to the uh, it came to a climax with the rise of apartheid, which was largely designed and implemented by Broderbund members between 1948 and 1994. Many prominent figures of South American political life, including all leaders of the government, were members of the Broderbund. Broderbund. So there is no real tie to that, but apparently he was familiar uh, with that concept when he – one of the two brothers – uh, Doug lived in Botswana, and so they adopted the name, changed the spelling slightly, and that became, uh, the name of their country, which is, uh, translates to Brotherhood. Uh, Broderbund, the company, was founded in 1980 by brothers Doug and Gary Carlston. It was originally founded to market Doug's games. He had written a couple of games, Galactic Empire and Galactic Trader. Now, if you had a computer in the 1980s, you are definitely familiar with the name Broderbund. Moby Games lists 178 titles that were published by Broderbund, and those are just games. Some of the classic Apple games you may be familiar with, uh, the first year they were out, they published uh, Apple Galaxian, Puckman, and Apple Panic, all for the Apple II. They published David's Midnight Magic, which was, I believe, the first— computer pinball game I ever saw. Uh, of course, they did Choplifter, Gumball, The Ancient Art of War, which was a classic game, The Castles of Dr. Creep, all the Dr. Creep games, Raid on Bungling Bay. Uh, they published Karotica, all of the Carmen Sandiego games, Superbike Challenge, Cauldron. Uh, they they published uh, certain versions of Star Wars, SimCity. Uh, they did Prince of Persia and the Might and Magic games, Mist. 8-Ball Deluxe, which was another great pinball game. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, Those 178 titles that are listed on Moby Games are only games. Uh, Broderbund was also responsible for uh, publishing Fantavision, which was... A animation tool that was 20 years easily before its time. I had it on the Apple II, and it was amazing the stuff you could do with it. Uh, They did the Music Shop. They did Banner Mania. They did all kinds of uh, production-type things, including a little one you may have heard of called Print Shop. So Broderbunder is responsible for all those birthday cards. All those banners, all those little signs. Uh, something that I learned this week, uh, I was also familiar with Printmaster, which was very similar to Print Shop. But what I didn't know was that Broderbund actually sued the owners of Printmaster due to uh, copying, and, and uh, they had all these uh, – different points of reference of things that had been exactly copied from Print Shop, and they won the lawsuit and basically took over the name Printmaster. So Broderbund uh, owns both Print Shop and Printmaster. Broderbund, a great publishing company, released tons of games for every 8-bit computer and, and lots of other systems. So if you go back to Load Runner's Roots, Doug Smith actually began working on this game uh, while he was in college. There's lots of stories. This has all been documented online where he eventually uh, ported it over to run on a mainframe. He had submitted a copy of it to Broderbund and they rejected it. Uh, However, he began reworking the title, and he actually got a $10,000 advance from Broderbund to continue working on it. Uh, As part of the game, he developed a level editor, and he sent the level editor out to all his friends that had Apple computers so that they could help him create more levels for the game. And it was eventually picked up by Rotorbund and published. So, this is an example of uh, m- many very early computer games that was basically written by a single person. Now, I had someone tell me that they didn't realize this game has 150 levels. They said I thought it had way fewer levels. And it's possible that they got the cart version. The cartridge of LoadRunner, Runner, I believe, only has 32 levels. But the disc version of the normal release has 150 different playable levels. Uh, the, this is another... Example of an early computer game where you wouldn't really know the backstory unless you read the manual. If you downloaded the game somewhere, you would say, "Oh, well, this is a you're a stick man and you're running around uh, and you're getting gifts for something." Uh, but no, you are, according to the manual, a galactic commando deep in enemy territory. Power-hungry leaders of the repressive bungling empire have stolen a fortune in gold from the people by means of excessive fast food taxes. Your task, infiltrate each of the 17 different treasury rooms, evade the deadly bungling guards, and recover every chest of bungling booty. So, <laughs> if nothing else, Broderbun was a master of alliteration. Uh, on the front of the box, we have a great piece of artwork. It shows a guy in a yellow jumpsuit hanging from, I guess you would call it a set of monkey bars, you know, overhead set of bars. He's hanging from those with one hand, and in his other hand, he has this laser pistol that he's shooting with. Um, Attached to his belt on his side is a small treasure chest, like a small box of treasure, which has the Broderbund logo on the side of it. This box is full of golden jewels, and some of them are falling out. And then around his feet and behind him, he is surrounded by uh, red robots. I mean, they're, they're, I guess they're kind of a maroon color. You know, now I think about it, that was kind of a, what's up Maximilian was that for Black Hole? Like, he was kind of that maroon color. Maybe, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, that was a common color, I guess, for robots. It kind of got phased out. Don't see a lot of that, uh, today. But, uh, uh, it, it also says underneath the title, an action game and game generator. By Doug Smith. So, we're going to talk about both of those things. The front of the manual underneath that also says Commodore 64 disc version by Dane Bigham. So, there's Dane's credit. He took uh, the original version of Loadrunner, Runner and ported it to the Commodore 64. Once you start the game, you will be greeted with a fairly simple title screen. You will see Broderbund Software Presents "Load Runner uh, by Doug Smith and Dane Bigham. Copyright 1983. Now, one thing I find really interesting about this uh, particular title screen is the colors are not only very simplistic, but they look like the Apple II colors. And so I wonder if this was directly ported from, uh, you know, I don't know why they didn't use uh, the, the capabilities of the Commodore 64 and make a more attractive title screen, but uh, essentially it looks exactly like the uh, Apple II title screen. Now, if you wait just a moment and pause, load Runner will begin into a demo of the game. Uh, the, and this is the very first moment you'll see one of the game's uh, really interesting effects, which is a zooming uh, almost like the, uh, the circle that we see at the beginning of James Bond movies, you'll see this, uh, circle that will zoom all the way out to show you the game. And, uh, later on, uh, if you die in the game, it will zoom all the way in, reset the board and zoom all the way out. It's a really, really neat, visual it 's also really, really slow, <laughs> and if you 're playing load runner for any length of time, you will get tired of that effect and I will tell you later on how you can turn that off now the game 's controls. Uh, you control the load runner and you can move left or right or up or down. You could go up or down ladders. Uh, you could go left or right on any platform. And then when you see those overhanging, uh, I guess they're monkey bars based on the artwork, although in the actual game it's just a line. And I always thought it was an overhead rope or something, but, uh, uh, you can, you could go left or right on those. The difference is when you're on those, Uh, You can't dig because obviously you're hanging on to the rope, uh, you know, or the ladder with your hands. If you want to play with a keyboard, and there is an advantage to doing that, especially on the Commodore 64, uh, you can use I, J, K, and L to go left, right, up, and down, and then the buttons O and U to dig left and right. So uh, I guess on an emulator, you could, uh, you know, program your own Sets of keys if you wanted to do that instead. But uh, uh, the reason that you might want to do that is because in the Apple II version of Load Runner, the Apple II joystick supports two buttons. And as you're going through the game, what you're going to be doing is digging holes. Uh, to the left and to the right of where you 're standing, actually, if you look at the artwork you 're not digging holes you 're shooting holes with your laser blaster now i don 't really understand why you couldn 't just shoot the robots but <laughs> but but, uh, but you can 't so um, so as the enemies are chasing you around the level. You might want to be, if they're chasing you, let's say if you're running from the left to the right and they're chasing you, you would want to be running to the right but digging to the left behind you. Well, if you have two joystick buttons like you do on the Apple, you can run to the right while keep pressing the dig left button, and it's very easy to do. Because the Commodore 64 joystick only supports one fire button, you have to dig the direction that you're facing. Now, there is a way to change that, and you really don't want to do that. But uh, So if you're running to the right and people are chasing you, you have to run to the right, turn to the left, dig, move to the right, turn to the left, dig, and it really slows your momentum. And there are levels that are very, very difficult. Um, I don't want to say impossible, but very difficult to complete because of that limitation. Now, if you're playing with... The keyboard, you could do it. You can run any direction and just, you know, dig behind you or whatever. And, uh, and so it's much easier to do, uh, with a keyboard. The manual says that while the game is in demo mode, you can press any button except for return to start the game, which I found that was very, uh, oddly specific, so I tried it, and if you hit return, it takes you to the high uh, high score screen, so you uh, will go there, but any other button does uh, uh, start the game. Now, there are several control keys that the game also supports, and if you don't have a manual, these could be difficult to just figure out on your own. A very important one is Control A, which aborts the level. Now, you might say, why is that important? Well, there are times in this game where you can fall into a trap that you can't get out of, and if you don't hit Control-A to abort it, the game will never end. You will sit in there until the end of time. (laughs) So uh, Control-A is something that you may have to do. Control-J and Control-K switch between uh, joystick and keyboard controls, so that's uh, good to know. Control-R will abort the entire game and just take you right back to uh, the main, main menu. Run stop on the Commodore keyboard pauses the game. Uh, control D will change your dig direction. So as I said, uh, normally you will be facing, you will dig the way the direction that you're facing. If you hit Control D, you will dig the opposite way. That is useful when you're running away from people and having them, uh, you know, trying to get them to drop into a hole. It's very difficult a lot of the rest of the time. So it's kind of a no-win situation. You can make some situations better and some worse. I really don't recommend trying to flip back and forth during the game. You're just going to get confused. Uh Lode Runner does support speeding the game up and down with the plus and minus keys. So you can press plus, repeatedly and speed the game up by the way the problem with load runner is not that the game is not fast enough <laughs> so unless you're a masochist you may not want to speed the game up but you can also slow it down with the minus key again i mean i think that the game runs at the right speed but uh, that is an option there control z turns on and off that zoom feature that I mentioned. So after you've played Load Runner for a few minutes, once you get tired of that zoom feature, you can hit Control-Z and turn it off, and then it will just skip that. Now, the game also has two cheat keys automatically built in. Uh, Control-U will help you uh, if you're having trouble on a level and you can't beat it. Control-U will advance to the next level. It'll just bypass that level. Control-F will give yourself additional free men. Uh, so those are very nice. However, the minute that you use any of those cheat keys, uh, it will not go to the high score save table after the game is over. So you will not be able to save your uh, score as a high score. So if you're just wanting to see the levels, it's a, a nice feature. Or you want wanting to continue play, that's kind of fun. But uh, not if you're trying to get an official high score. And then Control-E we will put you in the editor mode, which I'll talk a little bit more. But this game does include an entire editor mode where you can create and modify and, and swap levels with your friends. Now, the goal of the game of each level is to collect all the gold packages. And once you collect all the packages on each level, you escape by exiting through the top of the screen. So most of the levels, there is no way to go to the top of the screen, but once uh, you've collected all the gold packages, a ladder will appear, and that is the ladder that you will climb to exit the level. On each level, uh, there are a number of bungling enemies. Um. They will chase you around. The AI is kind of interesting because, uh, there are times where, when, like, sometimes a guy will be chasing you, and you can climb a ladder and he will get confused and run the exact opposite direction. Uh, at other times, you can, uh, you know, trick them to go different ways. And there are places in many of the levels where you can hide. Uh, I say hide, you can stand in a spot and all the enemies will go to a different spot and wait to see what you're going to do. So it's kind of like a little pause feature uh, built in. You can literally hide on these levels. So if you're you're getting chased and things are getting frantic, if you could figure out where these places are, uh, you can kind of regroup. Everybody will go back and you can uh, uh, reset and, and try to, uh, you know, go back to find more of the gold packages. Now, The interesting thing about those gold packages is that sometimes the bad guys pick them up, and when they do, you can't see them. So you may be on a level where it doesn't appear like there are any gold packages left, but one of the enemies has one. Now, we talked about that laser blaster that you have. That laser blaster blows holes in the brick level. So uh, I should say that each level is constructed uh, of ladders. We talked about that, of the overhanging monkey bars. And then there's brick and there's concrete, and there are traps. Uh, And the traps look like brick, except for when you walk on them, you will immediately fall through them. So uh, there's lots of uh, devious little levels that have been created that will frustrate you to no end. And then because the bricks, uh, you can't dig directly underneath you, only to the left and the right. So if you needed to... For example, dig through two level of bricks. You would have to dig two bricks on the first level side by side, hop down in that hole, and then dig a second one to the left or the right, and then you would be able to drop through. It sounds more complicated than it is. If you watch uh that video on the Sprite Castle plays, you'll you'll get the idea. Now the bad guys can also fall into these holes, and when you shoot a hole in the brick, it will stay empty for about three or four seconds. Uh it's not enough time. Uh, to kill any members of the bungling army. Uh, they will fall in there and they will wiggle themselves and climb out of the hole and continue chasing you. So you'll have to dig two or three holes in a row and they will fall into the first one, climb out, fall into the second one. And as those holes are filling up, it will eventually fill up around them and, and squish them. The bad news for you is the minute one gets squished, they just regenerate from the top of the screen. So if a level starts off with... Uh, Three bad guys. It's always going to have three bad guys. You can crush them all you want and it'll just, uh, they'll just keep appearing. Now, it is sometimes to your advantage to kill them when, uh, especially on some of the levels where they're so divided left and right, you may want to, uh, you know, kill them and then try to get them regenerating to one side of the screen or the other to re to group them together to make things easier. But uh, uh, yeah, you can't just kill them and have them permanently stay to where there's no enemies. So, um, but that's basically Load Runner. Uh, everything else is all about the level design. Again, I, I said that uh, the original version of Load Runner has 150 different levels, and the first few levels uh, are very good at introducing new concepts to you. So the first level has packages. You run around. It's not a big deal. And the second one uh, might have one trap and show you what a trap is. And the third one may have a concrete, you know, and you figure out that you can't dig on the concrete and so on and so forth. And as you play through the first few levels, uh, you will experience everything the game has. And then after that, this game gets really hard, <laughs> really fast. Um, so as far as the score goes, um Every time that you finish a level, you get 1,500 points. You get 250 points for each gold chest that you collect. You get 75 points for trapping an enemy in a hole, and then you get 75 points if they die in the hole. So that's basically it. That's the only way to get points in this game. Uh, it can be a type of game where you track your high score, but I think more people play it to see what level you can get to, again, out of those uh, uh, 150 levels. Now... If you have played as far as you can go, uh maybe you've beat all 150 levels or you just got to a point where you can't progress in the game, you might want to make your own levels. And so as I mentioned, Load Runner comes with a level editor. Now the keys uh it's joystick or a keyboard based, use I, J, K and M to move the cursor up, down, left or right, and the buttons uh 0 through 9 on your keyboard, do different things. So, uh, one is a brick, uh, you know, whatever. Zero is a blank space if you want to erase things. I think seven was a, a gold package, but, uh, uh, you can create, your own levels now you can't modify any of the 150 levels that come with the game but there is a feature to make your own save game disc and so once you do that you can save your levels to that you can reorder them you can test them you can do whatever you want and when you're done you can take that disc and give it to your buddy and if he has load runner he could load up load runner and then load your levels and play those levels you know so it was a really kind of a cool idea you know i don't really recall um people trading them over bbss but maybe they did i don't know it just maybe it wasn't uh, on my radar but i definitely remember making levels uh and and letting my friends play you know and of course you'll do ridiculous things uh when you have a level editor you know you put you know 5000 gold packages and one bad guy and one <laughs> you know just ridiculous kind of things or whatever but uh, it, it was definitely uh, definitely fun by the way there is a safeguard i tried to do this it will not let you format the original load runner disc so if you try to do that or modify it, it just says no nope, master disc detected and it, it won't let you do that i checked online i found a high score a uh, current high score for load runner listed of 1 million 346,275 by a player named Curtis DCX. Uh, he says that he obtained that score on a C64 Mini. He did not use any cheats or pause the game, but he, he said that the game took him multiple days to earn that score and he uh, got to level 123 and he used what I talked about, those hiding spaces where the other, uh, the, artificial until, you know, the, the robots get confused and they will go stand on the other side of the screen and he would leave the game overnight and then come back the next morning because there's no no timer or anything like that. Um, under trivia, I did want to talk just briefly about the bungling empire. So in the manual, it talks about the bungling empire. And apparently this is the first use of the word bungling in Broderbund's history. Shortly after this uh, was um, a Choplifter. And in Choplifter, it also talks about uh, the bungling uh, army or the bungling empire. And so this became kind of Broderbund's generic term for if you needed an enemy in a game, they were just going to be part of this bungling empire. So in theory, Load Runner and Choplifter take place in the same universe. And in fact, they use the same character animation. Uh, if you've ever played Choplifter, the little people running around at the bottom are the exact same animation that appear in Load Runner. Uh, and then a year or two after that, we have Raid on Bungling Bay, <laughs> which is also for Broderbun, which is a game you may have heard of. So, uh, they kind of had this, this little thing going with, uh, uh the bungling empire and, the uh, bungling enemies. So, but, uh, I believe Load Runner is where it started. So this game got pretty excellent reviews at the time. Uh, Popular Computing Weekly gave it 5 out of 5. Your Commodore gave it 100. Zap gave it 88 out of 100. And Info gave it 80 out of 100. So uh, very highly ranked. It is a really great puzzle game. It's a little puzzle. It's a little action. You can't just run and gun your way through this game. You have to look at each level, figure out a path. Uh, you'll have to pause. You'll have to you know, figure out puzzles and stuff. And so it's very. But you have to be able to pull off all your moves with the joystick and the button, too. So it's not just uh, uh, all thinking. You, there's uh, action and reflexes that go with it, too. Uh, It does appear in the uh, book. A lot of these games that I've talked about appear in the same book, which is called 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. And I 100% uh, back that up. I would put it in the top 50 games you must play before you die. Uh, Originally, as I mentioned, Doug Smith uh, wrote this game uh, at his college. He had it running on a mainframe. Uh, He uh, ported it over to, I, I believe, assembly on his Apple II. Uh, So obviously the original version is Apple II. It was ported very quickly to Atari 8-bit computers uh, and the Commodore 64. Uh, and then it got ported to everything. It's on uh, DOS machines, the BBC Micro. Uh, it's on the original Macintosh. Uh, there were updated graphical versions that came out for things like the original uh, Nintendo, the NES. I don't like those versions. They're very cutesy and colorful and have a much larger animated character. And uh, this game doesn't need that. Uh, it's very, very playable with... The playfield, you know, the bricks and and lines and little stick people. It works uh, perfectly with that. Now there was a release a few years later called Championship Load Runner, which was just Load Runner, but only with 50 new levels, and they're very, very difficult. And in fact, uh, Broderbund would give you a prize if you beat all 50 levels and took a picture. But they would only give you the prize if you also had a picture of the original disc. <laughs> so if you had a pirated copy, uh, you were uh, uh, could not, you know, get any recognition from them. Uh, There are a lot of, there are a lot, I can't really stress that enough, of uh, different Load Runner games. And there's two different types, I would say. One is the original engine of Load Runner. Uh, People made their own levels and just re-released those. So there's Load Runner 2, 3, 4. There's all different kinds of uh, Load Runner releases. But then there are different versions of Load Runner that have been tweaked. Uh, There's uh, Load Runner 3D for example, that appears on the Nintendo 64. There's a a version called Load Runner Extra. Uh, There's a a Load Runner game for the original PlayStation in which the robots have been replaced with these little demon-looking things, and the entire game looks like it takes place in a rainforest or a jungle. The whole background is green with vines and things like that. So it's the same game. It's just, you know, a different uh, different paint that's been applied to it. Uh, there's also for the Commodore 64 and 8, uh, Atari 8-bit computers, a game called Load Runner's Rescue, which is really kind of interesting. It's Load Runner, but in a pseudo 3D, uh, presentation. It almost looks like if you took crystal castles and turned it into load runner so i don't know how playable it is um and again i I love the original so much that i don't know that it it needs tweaking but uh lots of different uh, load runner options if you want to go out there and check those things out if you want to play load runner today obviously besides uh commodore emulation and things like that uh First of all, I did want to mention this, uh, and maybe this belongs under ports, but, uh, there was a Load Runner arcade game. Now, it doesn't look like the original 8-bit versions. It looks more like the NES version. It's, it's a little more colorful. The gameplay is essentially the same, uh, but, uh, it's more zoomed in. The the view is more zoomed in, so it makes it more difficult to see where all the enemies are and what's going on. But this was one of the first games this and Choplifter were two early games that went from computers to the arcade. So I thought that was interesting that uh There were two Broderbund games that did that. Anyway, uh, if you want to play this and don't have an emulator or a vintage computer or something set up, you might want to go check out loadrunnerwebgame.com. If you go there, they have an entire Java version of LoadRunner, the original 8-bit version that you can play, and you can even pick if you want an Apple II or a Commodore 64 theme applied to the game. Now, the difference is, on the original Apple... The levels were blue. The bricks were blue, the concrete was blue, and then the ladders and everything else were white. On the Commodore 64 version, everything is red. The bricks are red, uh, the concrete's red, and uh, again, the the ladders and such are white. So uh, I don't know why they changed it between the two versions. Uh, Commodore has a, a lovely shade of blue they could have used, so I don't know why They wanted to differentiate those two. But you can choose either one on LoadrunnerWebgame.com. You can play with your arrow keys and use Q and E to dig left and right. So uh, it even has fairly authentic sound. So if you want to uh, check that out online, you can do that. Speaking of online... I went on eBay this week to find out if there were copies of LoadRunner Runner for the Commodore 64 available. They are, and they are not particularly cheap. I found a complete in-box version for $44.95, plus a few dollars shipping. Uh, I found a floppy disk version with the manual and no box for $40. And I found a cartridge version for about $70. So it's definitely a title that's uh, well enough known that the prices are not cheap. Now let's get into some of my personal memories of Lode Runner. All right, time travelers, seatbelts fastened, Just do to the past. Huh? Memories. Well, as I've mentioned a million times on this show, the first computer I ever owned was a TRS-80 Model Three, which we got that in 1980. We had it for a couple of years, and then we sold that to get uh, our Apple II clone, the Franklin Ace 1000. And the very first thing that it had that the TRS-80 that we owned, I mean, at that time, did not have was graphical games. Our TRS-80 mostly was text adventures and games that were made up with either very large sprites, uh, I mean, like, like the size of a cursor, Or, uh, you know, text games or ASCII characters, right? Um, But, uh, you know, once you got to the Apple, all of a sudden there were games that looked like games. Like, you know, Apple Panic looks like a game. I mean, there were Pac-Man clones that looked like Pac-Man, you know? And not only that, but I was a little bit older. I was two years older. So when we got the Franklin Ace Uh, Was 1982 and and 83. Those had been, I mean, basically, those, we did get a PC uh, at the same time. So we got a PC Junior and we had an Apple II. But this was, you know, when I was coming into my own as a gamer. So we would play the Atari. When we got tired of the Atari, we would go to the computer and we would play these games. And uh, so Load Runner is definitely a game that I remember owning very early on. Uh, And it was at a point where, I was old enough to start getting good at games. So my dad and I were about the same level of playing Load Runner. Like we had the, you know, the same skill level. And one of the things that I've talked about, uh, in other podcasts, and this applied to wizardry and it definitely applied to Load Runner was, uh, my dad at that time worked, uh, the, I don't know if it's called a graveyard shift, but he went to work at 3 p.m., and he got off work at 11 p.m., so he didn't get home till about 11.30. So on school nights uh, or school days, I got home from school at 3.30. He had already gone to work. And I was supposed to go to bed at 10 o'clock. And so I wouldn't see him, you know, during the week. Now, uh, I did see him because we had lunch every Wednesday. He came to my school and picked me up and we had lunch. But, but after school, the whole evening, uh, I didn't see him. And so, uh, one of the things that we did, and I don't want to say communicate because that makes it sound like I didn't talk to him, but, uh, one of the things that we shared, even if it wasn't at the same time, was this um, these games and especially games where you could create something for another person uh, I've talked about wizardry and uh, wizardry my dad and I created a party and I would play wizardry when I got home from school and then like I would level up characters you know I would go around and fight and try to get us more money and gold and experience and then uh, when my dad came home from work, he would play wizardry with the party and he would explore new areas and, and uh, he had this graph paper and he would graph out all the dungeons and things like that. So it was like we were playing together, even though it was at different times, you know, and Load Runner was the same way. I definitely have a memory of. My dad creating levels in Load Runner and leaving them out for me on a disc so that when I came home, I would find these levels. And I know that I created levels for him. Now, being a, a child, my levels were probably either insanely easy or more likely insanely difficult. <laughs> um, but that was something that we did, you know? So, uh, I do remember Load Runner being one of those games that no matter what system you had, uh, you had Load Runner. So, if you had an Apple computer, you had Loadrunner. If you had a Commodore, you had Loadrunner. If you had an Atari computer, you had Loadrunner. When we had our PC Junior, we had Loadrunner. Everybody had Loadrunner and knew what that was. I think that part of the problem with Loadrunner, I hate to call it a problem, but it's pretty difficult compared to other games of that time. And visually, it's not very interesting. And so uh, if you were playing Load Runner in 1983, it looked pretty good. If you were playing it in 1984, it looked pretty simple, right? And if you are playing it in 1985, it looked old. <laughs> so even though it was a good game, I mean, within a year or so, we have King's Quest. <laughs> you know, we have these other types of games uh, that are, you know, fully graphical uh, colors and all these things, and, and they made those early games um, look outdated. So even if the gameplay was excellent, they just didn't have the visual flair. They didn't have the sound. Uh, they didn't. This game doesn't have any music. So uh, it, it's a fun game. It's a fantastic game. I love this game. But... I remember, you know, growing out of it pretty quickly. Uh it, it was good at the time, but the next week when you got Donkey Kong, it was kind of difficult to go back and, and keep playing uh load runner. For graphics, I could really only give Loadrunner Runner 2 out of 5 bundlings. Uh, They're adequate, but there's really not a whole lot there. For music, unfortunately, Loadrunner Runner gets a 0 out of 5. There is no music contained within this game. Sound effects, I'll also give two out of five, you have the sound of the digging, you have the sound when you beat the level, and you have the sound when you die. But there aren't too many sound effects and the ones uh, that are there are very simplistic early computing sound effects. That being said... Overall gameplay, I'm going to give Load Runner 4 out of 5 bunglings. This is a very fun game, especially if you start getting into the later levels and trying to figure out the way to beat these levels. Don't get frustrated. Use your hand and try to figure out paths. Uh, find these hiding spots. Find ways to group the bunglings together. Uh, and I think that you'll find that it is a very challenging and very fun game. I know that I put a lot of time this week into playing uh, load run all over again. So it's definitely a game that uh, will draw you in, get you hooked, and might get you to break your joystick. Thanks again for tuning in to Spry Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Spry Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hare dot com. contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Catch me hanging out at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support this show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and other bonus features, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows over at podcast.robohair.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now go for the gold, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.